Here's the thing. We've been studying history, but it's not some dry, dusty thing. It's not a a classroom where it, it just seems like it's a bunch of old, dusty facts. We're talking about his story. All of history is his story. And we learned last week that one of the most amazing things about Scripture is how God took everyday real life in the Old Testament and made pictures, word pictures out of it for us to know how to live the Christian life today. In fact, to me, it's one of the most amazing proofs of the power of God's Holy Spirit in putting together Scripture, that he was able to weave real daily life, things that actually happen, and weave that in and out for us so that we could understand how to do life. Today, I wanna talk to you out out of the book of Genesis, chapter 13, and we're looking at the life of Abraham, the the greatest man of faith that ever lived, except for Jesus himself, and Abraham is going to teach us some things. You know, I was reading this week about a little stream high up in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, right at the top of the Great Divide, they call it, in our country, and this tiny little stream flows along, and then it forks, it splits, And it's just a little thing. You know, one drop of water going down one fork, another drop of water going down the other fork. But those two drops of water and that little split changes everything for them. Because one drop goes down into the mighty Colorado eventually and out into the Gulf of California and the Pacific Ocean. The other drop that went down the other little fork ends up going down into the Mississippi and eventually out into the Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic Ocean. Two completely different destinations. So what I wanna talk to you about this morning is the life-changing power of choice points. So pull out your sermon notes with me, if you will. And I'm gonna read most of Genesis 13, so it'll be up on the screen or you can turn there in your Bible if you want to, okay? And we'll look at that together. Let me just read it for you first, and then we'll get the God's truth out of it. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. He was called Abram still. His name's going to change to Abraham. We'll see the significance of that uh, in a week or so. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, remember Lot was his nephew who came with him to the promised land, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we're both brothers. It's not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. If you go to the left, then I will go to the right, or if to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, 
And Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. The life-changing secret of choice points. I want you to see, I, I put some blanks there for you because I want you to be able to fill those in and look back later this week and remember some of what we talked about. But the first thing I want you to see today is that your future is determined at choice points. Your future is determined at choice points. Just like that little fork in that tiny little stream at the top of the continental divide, choice points determined your destiny. And you know, a lot of Choice points feel a lot like that little stream when it divides. It doesn't look very significant, but it's very, very significant where that little drop of water is going to end up. Totally different places. And a lot of life choices are like that. I was talking to someone who said, four years ago, I came to Community of Faith on Easter morning instead of sleeping in. And that changed everything for me. That changed everything. I'm not the same person that I was. I've been coming since then. It changed my marriage. It changed my family. It changed my kids. It changed my coworkers and even the people around me in the neighborhood. And it's like there's been this huge life change thing that's happened out of this seemingly insignificant choice of just getting up and coming to church one Easter instead of sleeping. Some of you met your spouses, it seemed like a really insignificant time. Maybe it was just at the office or or, or just, you know, at some social event. And it didn't seem very significant at the time, but it's been life-changing for good or bad, right? And we see that in so many different ways. Choice points can be negative in the sense that a teenager, for example, chooses to get in the car with a friend who's been drinking. And something happens accident life changes in a moment for the rest of life or a man drinks a little too much at at an office party and ends up his inhibitions drop and he ends up getting together with a woman there another man's wife and it has implications that go on and on and ripples that continue on and on for children even grandchildren down through the years. We see these choice points. So it's real important that we understand what we do at these choice points. In fact, I would dare to say, and write this down, abundant life is the result of lining up your choices with God's principles. Abundant life is the result of lining up your choices with God's principles. We're gonna see that in this chapter. The the herdsmen of Abraham and Lot are are quarreling because they're both so wealthy and they're in the same 
place and, and there's just not, an, it feels like there's not enough resources for them, okay? And so they begin to quarrel. And then Abraham, or Abram at this point, gives Lot the choice of where they could move apart a little bit. You go one way and I'll go the other way. And it says Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw the lushness of the Jordan Valley. And so he moves that way. And he moved toward Sodom. And it's interesting because it was just a little move. But in the next chapter we see that he was just outside the gates of Sodom living. And then we see that he was inside of Sodom living. And then we see a little bit later that he was in, he was one of the leaders, one of the elders of the city of Sodom before the Lord destroyed it. And so it made a huge impact for him and for his family. And in the end, it cost him everything. The Old Testament story of Lot fades away with him hiding in a cave. His wife is dead. His daughters get him drunk and commit incest with him and that's the last we hear of Lot what a sad ending see Lot did something that a lot of us as Americans and as American Christians we do without really giving it much thought he made a major life decision based on the unchallenged assumption that pursuing prosperity was the main goal in life That was all he was thinking about. He was looking out for number one, following right in line with that, and it ended up costing him everything. He and his family paid a price. So how do we learn from this? I think there are four basic principles. We could spend and will spend all of our life learning God's principles in his word and his promises in his word, and so many of them are conditional. 7,000 plus promises in God's word for us. And a lot of them come with a premise. If you'll do this, I'll do this. And we begin to learn that and we begin to live in that and we begin to choose that. But there are four that I want you to put into practice this week that are here in this passage. Are you ready for them? Here's number one. Write this down. Choose relationships over rights. Choose relationships over rights. Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we're brothers. Now, Abram had the right to choose. He was the clan chieftain. He was the elder of the two. He was the one in charge, and he was the one that could have said, I'm going to choose this, and you can have the leftovers. But that's not what he did. He yielded his rights up and then trusted God to give, take care of him. For the sake of the relationship. They were having quarrels. Things weren't going well. So much strife could be avoided in a family. And in the church. If we put a premium on our relationships. And set aside our rights. And and let the Lord take care of us. I can't tell you how many marriages that I've, I've talked to. And it always comes down to that. It's like well I have a right to this. Or if she'll do this then I'll do that. And somebody's got to break that cycle. And set aside their rights and say, for the sake of relationship, I'm going to lean into this. I'm going to do this. And this is not a, I'm going to lay down my rights. It says Jesus did that. He laid down the right to be God. We can't even understand what that must have looked like as he stepped out of heaven and became a man. What a, what a, a huge humbling step to become a little tiny baby in a manger. 
He set aside his rights because he wanted relationship with you. And he knew he had to come here and die for that to happen. So I want you to think about it. When I talk to parents, a lot of times I'll say, parents, you more than anything else with that teenager that you're struggling with right now, keep the relationship. Do whatever you can to keep the relationship. Don't get distracted by external things. You know, don't get distracted by the tattoo or the piercing or whatever that surprised you. What I want you to do is I want you to focus on heart issues. Focus on the inside and and, and keep the relationship because if you keep the relationship There's going to be a time when there's a getting back together. All teenagers are struggling to say, hey, I'm my own person. And that's usually going to mean whatever mom and dad think. I'm going to think the opposite sometimes. Okay. But if there's a relationship there, then it it, it comes full circle. But if you kill the relationship over legalism and rules. Now, I'm not saying there doesn't have to be rules. And I'm not saying love doesn't have to be tough. It really does sometimes have to be tough but I'm saying don't forget relationship the general rule is this Romans 14 19 so then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another and that's what we're about that's what we do number two here's a second thing that you see in this passage choose an abundance mindset over a scarcity mindset All of us in this room have one of two mindsets, either an abundance mindset or a scarcity mindset. How how do you know what it is? Well, you can tell by how you respond to material things. And and if if you're hoarding and if you're grabbing and if you're saying, you know, I don't feel secure without this. And and, and how we, we look at these things. Lot left Abraham or Abram in the dust, literally in the dust. See, there'd been a big famine in Canaan. And they had gone down to Egypt for a while because of the famine in Canaan. And when they came back, they were even richer. God had blessed them while they were down there. And they came back super wealthy. And it was still pretty dusty there in Canaan. There had been a big famine in the land. And so Lot looks out and sees the lush green Jordan Valley. And he says, I'll take that. And he leaves Abram standing literally in the dust of Canaan. And that's what he gets. Because Lot had a scarcity mentality. There's not enough to go around. I've got to grab the very best for myself. And I'm going to leave you in the dust. And we see this greed in him that he probably didn't even know was there. Greed is so pervasive in our culture. Charles Simeon was a great pastor of the 19th century in Britain. Great Britain. And he said, let me give you three helpful criteria for evaluating if you're greedy or not. Let me just give these to you because I really liked them when I read them this week. He said, first, evaluate the manner in which you seek the things of this world. When you seek them, do you think about them more than God, than the things of God? Do you, is that what you're always pursuing and thinking about all the time versus the things of God? And would you be willing to like violate your conscience to get some of those? If so, then there's a good chance that you're, Greedy. He says, also evaluate the manner in which you enjoy the things of the world. God wants us to enjoy the things that he's blessed us with. But if we start to say, if I just had such and such, I would be happy. Or if I can just get my bank account to here, I'll feel secure. 
then probably we're trusting in wealth and material things more than we're trusting in God. And that comes from greed. And then Simeon says, thirdly, evaluate ourselves by the manner in which we mourn the loss of the things of this world. He said, can you say with Job, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job lost everything. But he said that. He said, the Lord gave it to me. The Lord took it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He said, probably if you're greedy, you'll say, what did you do, God? Cursed be your name. How can you do this to me? And he said, that comes from greed. Because God can do what he wants. And he moves in all these ways that that we don't understand. You know, the, the simplest and the fairest separation would have been just to make the Jordan River the boundary between the two men. And then they could have both had some good property there, right? But no, that's not what Lot does. Lot chose, it says, all the valley of the Jordan. And I think he probably patted himself on the back. He probably thought, man, I put one over on the old guy. Can't believe Abram gave me that choice and I put it to him, you know, and I had the chance. He's probably going away and I'm going to be the next, you know, Bill Gates. Well, he might not have thought that, but, you know, he, he, he was thinking like that, right? And, and so you, you look at this, and he's thinking, and it ends up, it's going to cost him spiritually, financially, emotionally, relationally, his family. I, I think Abram had a whole different mindset. He wanted the best for his nephew Lot. He wanted life for him. And therefore, he gave him the choice. And he said, you know what? God has already promised he's going to take care of us. Look what he's already done. And look how he's blessed us. God, there's, it's not like there's not enough to go around. We have a great, big God. And he is good. And we can trust his heart. And it's going to be okay. And we're not in competition. Do you find yourself in competition? You know, I think it's so interesting that churches so many times get in such competition with each other and and it's like aren't we all in the kingdom together I mean we're, we're doing this together we're all part of this together do you and your business feel like that you have to knock other people down in order to move up it's just not true God is a good God he's got your back he's got your heart and he's he's got a heart for you and he wants you to choose that I think verse 10 really helps us understand the difference it says lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the jordan that it was well watered everywhere this was before the lord destroyed sodom and gomorrah you know what's there now the dead sea yeah that's a big that's a big change right this was amazing he said it looks like eden it looks like egypt now eden was god's plan of all of this beauty Egypt was kind of like representing the world's plan of materialistic greed and gain. And what's crazy about Lot is he couldn't tell the difference. It looks like, looks like both. And so he chose it for himself. Verse 11, so Lot chose for himself. And that's what he did. And verse 14 says, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes. It's the exact same words. Lot lifted up his eyes out of greed and looked but it says the Lord lifted Abraham's gaze up and says look at me 
I'm your portion. I'm your God. I'm your father. And he ended up, as Abram's standing in the dust, literally, probably going like, what just happened, you know? Uh, he says, see the dust around your feet? If you could count those little particles of dust, you'll be able to count your descendants that I'm going to bless you with. This is yours. I've given it to you. Live in it. Walk in it. My promises are true. My promises are real. I want you to walk in it. I want you to be there. You've done the right thing. I've got you. Eyes lifted. The exact same term. I'm praying for you today that it'll be God that lifts your eyes so that you'll see it from his perspective. Not from your own grasping for yourself, scared, afraid, there's not enough to go around, but this abundance that he has for us. I think one of the great lessons of this chapter is that we don't even know what's good for us. Would you agree with that? Have you ever gotten by your own effort absolutely everything you wanted and it turned out to be absolutely miserable? Some of you are going, yeah, I got her. That's, that happened. Yeah, I got him. One guy told me, I, I said, you, well, you took her for better or for worse. And he said, she's a lot worse than I took her for. <laughs> We're not good at choosing, are we? God can still work a miracle. Get ready. He's moving. He's working in your marriage. Okay. But the point here is that, that Lot thought that he was choosing this amazing thing and it ended up costing him everything number three choose time with God over time with culture time with God over time with culture why did Abraham remain untainted if you will and and, and Lot got so corrupted where we end up seeing him in the middle of this wicked city and, and and he's like one of the big leaders now he's like a politician in the city The answer, I think, is in verse 18. It says, Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. I think we see two things that marked Abram's life, Abraham's life, throughout his life. The altar and the tent. You see, he lived in a tent all of his life. This was probably the wealthiest man in all of that part of the world. And he lived in a tent. Why? He did it on purpose. Because he was always reminding himself every evening when he came home to his tent that this is all temporary. It's all temporary. We forget that, don't we? At every funeral that I've ever preached, I I see kind of a glazed over look that everybody's kind of remembering. Oh yeah, you know, it's just, it lasts for a little while and it's kind of like Monopoly money and then... Like Monopoly, at the end, it all goes back in the box, and you go in the box. And then it goes on, and your children lose all the money that you had, you know. And and it just continues like that. And and, and it's just, it, it goes on and on and on. That's what Abraham, he was remembering that every day. This is temporary. It doesn't last. The Bible talks about the true riches. He said, if you, Jesus said, if you haven't been faithful with worldly monopoly money and focusing on my kingdom and making change in the under-resourced and others around you, then, then how am I going to trust you with the true riches? That, that's, that always just hits me right in the heart. 
This isn't the true riches yet. You see, these riches don't belong to you. They belong to him. You're not going to take it with you. You're just going to pass it on, and the next generation's going to play. And he's going to see how they do to see whose heart he can trust. And Abram built an altar to the Lord so he was worshiping God and saying, you're number one in my life. You're, uh, yeah, he's super wealthy. There's nothing wrong with that. That was a blessing from God. But he wasn't trusting that. He was trusting in God himself. He was known as the friend of God. Now Lot, on the other hand, he never built an altar in Sodom. And he wasn't living in any tent. He was living in a pretty fine townhome probably, you know, or a, a nice mansion there as one of the bigwigs. Then number four, the last one. Choose to give yourself to God's story and he will give himself to your story. Choose to give yourself to God's story and he will give himself to your story. That's really what we're talking about in this whole series. That a lot of us, we've been living these little telenovela lives that we have to infuse with some drama just to get some meaning out of them. And he's saying, I've got an epic story I'm writing and I want you to be a part of it. My little son, my little daughter, I created you to be a part of so much more. And if you will focus on what I'm interested in and what I care about, I'll take care of your stuff. You focus on my stuff, I'll take care of your stuff. Look what he said to Abram. For all the land you see, I will give it to you. And to your descendants forever, I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So if anyone can number the dust of the earth, your descendants could be numbered. Walk the land. Through its length and breadth, I'm going to give it all to you. Jesus said it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. I want you to think about that the next time that it comes time for a choice point. And we get them every day. And so many of them, they don't seem that significant. Some of them don't make much difference but they still change our direction some of them are life altering and we don't know it at the time but at every choice point ask yourself what about God's stuff what is he interested in here what's the most important thing to him if I focus on that then he'll take care of my stuff he'll make sure that I end up in the right place he'll make sure that this goes where he needs it to go and I can trust his heart see that's the big thing do we trust him I, I think that the psalmist David who was called a man after God's own heart he wrote it this way he said trust in the Lord and do good you know right before this he said quit fretting about wicked people and all the stuff that all the money they make quit worrying about that that's not your problem that's not your issue you trust in the Lord and do good dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness literally it means feed on his faithfulness delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart commit your way to the Lord trust also in him and he will do it he just keeps saying trust you trust you see if you don't trust you're going to have a scarcity mindset you're going to be saying I got to get this I got to I got to grab this I got to hoard this I got to I got to compete against everyone around me I got to beat people down so that I'm at the top. But if you trust his heart as a father for you, little son, that he's going to take care of it. If you'll seek his stuff, 
You, you see, it's a radical thing, this Christian life. He says, if you will seek after my stuff, I'll handle all of your stuff. I'll take care of it. I'll watch over it. You know, I could tell I got a little bit away from that of late because I've been worried sometimes about some things. And every time I worry, I start to realize it's me trying to be God and grab hold of my stuff, whatever it is. Even if it's my kids or my family or, you know, good things even. If I'm ever trying to control it, then, then it's me doing it. You know, God gave me some amazing promises for my kids. When Laura and I, we, we left and we went to Mexico City as missionaries. And it was a scary thing. Some 25 million people in the geographic size of a city of Houston. That's a lot of people crammed in there. That's more than live in the state of Texas put into Houston. And it was dangerous. And it was polluted. Just breathing the air in Mexico City was like smoking 13 cigarettes a day. Someone asked me, what are you going to do when you get stressed? I said, I'm just going to go outside with a straw. <laughs> but I thought, you know, it's going to cost my kids. I, I, I really thought God was calling us there for the rest of our life, which I thought might be kind of short, breathing 13 cigarettes, you know. But we really gave it. And God gave Laura and I so many promises. And he's just been, he keeps fulfilling those promises over and over and over and over for the well-being of my children and my family. It's amazing that we can trust his heart. We can trust him. He's got good for us. He knows what he's doing with us. Someone said that we tend to think of commitment to Christ as like saying this is a once for all, all out thing. And it is. It's like laying a thousand dollar bill on the table and saying, God, everything I am is yours. But this person went on to say, but then what Jesus does, he says, I receive that. I take that. And I, we make this exchange, what I did on the cross. As you give me everything you are, I give you all that I am. But now I want you to go and take that thousand dollar bill to the bank and get a whole bunch of quarters. And every day, in every choice point, as you lay down a quarter or 50 cents or 75 cents or a dollar, you choose my kingdom. Every moment, every quarter along the way, every small step, every tiny right step leads us to abundance. You're going to have some today. You're going to have a choice point today. In one of these four areas, you're going to have a choice point. As you lay that down and you say, I give up my rights for relationship. Or, or I'm going to trust your heart, Father, instead of trying to hoard for myself. I'm going to be about your kingdom and what you're interested in in this moment more than my own kingdom. Because I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of it. That's when the peace comes and the freedom comes and the abundance comes. I want you to close your eyes, kind of block out everyone else around you. You stand at a fork in the road, one of my favorite poems by Robert Frost, and both that morning equally lay, in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, 
Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. This is your choice. This is your time. Jesus says the way, the way is narrow. It's so narrow, and few there be that find it. But my prayer for you, my prayer for all of you within the sound of my voice is that you'll find it. Let's take that road together. Let's encourage one another along the road. Let's pick up those stragglers and, and, and pick up those that have fallen on their face and dust them off and say, come on, you do that to me when I follow my face. Come on, we can do this. Father, for everyone here within the sound of my voice, that's what I'm praying. Come, kingdom of God upon us. Be done, will of God in us. Let nothing stop what you have in mind for us. You accomplish your good plan as we step into your principles as your little children. Some of us need to step into that very first step and just give you all that we are. And we do that today. Father, some of us Some of us, we just, we've been just grasping and hoarding and fretting and stressed. God, let us get about your business. Because I want you to take care of our business. Because you're so much better at it than we are. And we'll trust your heart. We'll trust you. And we'll find abundance there. I ask it for all of us in Jesus' name. Amen.